The Seattle Seahawks lost in heartbreaking fashion against the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday, dropping them outside of the playoff picture for the first time in a month. However, despite the consecutive losses, the Seahawks are still 6-5 and five and very much in the postseason hunt. Digging into all of that with us is Seattle Sports 710's Stacey Rost. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my talented producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? I feel like I'm losing trust in you. Talented is not quite as uh, elaborate a word choice, and the truth is lacking as well. Uh, feeling good, though, Jackson. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm I'm good. I want to apologize to the listeners for no read of the article this week. I've uh, been dealing with what I'm sure a lot of you guys out there have been dealing with, just had a sore throat going around and and so uh good to be back today today back to feeling full strength got the stogie back in everything is right we've reached equilibrium once again congratulations <laughs> yeah thanks man as far as this team goes though man two losses in a row i don't know if you felt this way too or not but this last one stung a little bit more than the one before it yeah it did it felt gross because of the way the defense didn't really regain form after a tough outing in Germany against Tom Brady and company but you know this was a pretty good football weekend for me you know Huskies won the Apple Cup Oregon blew it in hilarious fashion so I <laughs> I I felt like I could deal with that I felt sure. like the Seahawks could be the sacrificial lamb for for Sunday but I, I understand where you're at well for me I mean it was like it's look losses happen and the gaps between most NFL teams aren't as big typically as records would indicate that being said, the Raiders are a beatable team. Uh, they came in three and seven. This was at home after a bye. And to make matters worse, the 49ers seem to be completely hitting their stride right now. And so it's like two weeks ago, six and three, first place in the division, number three seed. And now faces pressed up against the glass. Look, I think that if there's one lesson that we should take away from Sunday's loss, is that the Seahawks just need to force feed the ball to their best and most dynamic it. weapon. Stop it remains it. your very own Travis Homer. I can't take you anywhere. Look, the sample size continues to expand. My take continues to look more prescient. I'm feeling great, Jackson. And Travis <laughs> Homer's looking great. He is. He is, man. He's he's transformed as a player, but we're not here to make this a Travis Homer podcast as much well, am, as you but, would like to I, I know i know i'm just gonna mute you real quick you know <laughs> we, we do talk a lot on this show about zooming out after wins after losses just the value in stepping back and evaluating not only the season to date but the trajectory of the franchise and when you do that i think you see a brighter picture than consecutive losses might indicate helping us talk through all of that today is the co-host of bump and stacy on seattle sports 710 and she's a friend of the show, Stacy Rost. Stacy, it's great to have you back. Thanks, guys. I'm really, really excited to be back. Love this pod. Uh, both of you are hilarious. And uh, Mike, always choosing a random player to be in love with. I mean, first it was Tanner McAvoy. What happened? You just Look, step out on him just because he's not a Seahawk anymore? No, I hitch, I hitch my wagon 
to forces of nature, okay? I'm not the one who chooses the best player, the best offensive weapon that the Seahawks sure. have at any given point. They choose you. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm guided by objectivity. Yeah, that's what it is. Absolutely. If, if there's anything that anchors your takes, it's that's right. objectivity. That's right. Yeah. Let the record show. Well, you know, when I was writing up this game on Sunday, I thought about how unless your team is either insanely good or really bad, each season has a series of mini seasons within it. And by that, I mean, if you were to group a series of games together, you get different impressions of the team than if you look at the season as a whole. And for Seattle, you've got the crazy emotional opening night win over Denver, followed by the big letdown game in San Francisco. Then you had three straight wild, high-scoring arcade-style games uh, with the Falcons, the Lions, the Saints. Then you had four consecutive borderline dominant wins. I mean, they won by 10-plus for a month straight. And then two straight kind of underwhelming losses. Stacy, when you look at each of these chapters, is there one that stands out to you as being more indicative of who this team really is? I think that, first of all, let me say that I love this topic. The idea of taking a step back to look at the story of the season as a whole and, and kind of the different stories within it. Uh, secondly, I would almost combine, not totally combine, but I feel like, at least when it comes to the story of the offense, uh, the games against the Falcons and Saints, even though they were losses, are almost also part of that story of the team being really dominant because the I wasn't questioning the offense in, in quite a few of those games and very rarely over the course of the season, if ever, have I questioned Geno Smith. Um, the real narrative change of the story to me has been riding with the defense. And uh, that is uh, both really uh, the the highlight of that is that when the defense is playing well, this team looks great. Like they look like a, a team that that can fight their way out of the uh, wild card and in, into a divisional spot, um, especially in you know in a weak NFC. Uh, when the defense is bad, <laughs> you see really ugly losses where there is nothing the offense can do. Thirty four points would have won almost every other game this past yeah. weekend with the exception of the one you played and the one the Packers played against the Eagles. Yeah. And you know, it's since you brought up the defense, let's just start there. The thing that had me so excited about this team kind of skipping a step when it comes to rebuilding was how good the defense looked when they were winning those four straight games. Um, they just weren't giving up touchdowns like at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, the offense is ahead of schedule. Now, they seem to have flipped the switch on the defense and it's not the boring version of a low scoring defense where you give up a bunch of first downs and then hold them to a field goal attempt, but you're not getting sacks. You're not getting turnovers. I mean, this team had 20 sacks in a five game stretch. They, in a four game stretch, they were turning the ball over. They were advantageous. And then you could tell a story for why that didn't happen in Tampa. You know, they, they made some personnel choices when they traveled to basically stop the pass and Tampa just ran on them. Um, there were some issues with the field. I could make my peace with it. I got no excuses for them yep. in the Raiders game. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel uh, heading out of this one is I, I especially after a really dominant outing and, uh, excuse me, stretch, a stretch of uh, four games also that for the defense – the basic stats followed up the feeling that you had about them. You felt like they were improving, but it wasn't one of those things where uh, they allow, you know, 400 
uh, in 80 yards but still win. And you're thinking, like, well, I can't complain too much about them because people are going to say they won. Like, they were getting, like you said, they were getting takeaways. They were getting pressure on the quarterback. All the basic stats that would follow a good defense, limiting points per game, limiting yards per game, they were doing. So it was like the foundation of something kind of backed up the what you were feeling and it felt real. Uh, with the Raiders, it's not like the Raiders are a horrible team. The Seahawks are a better team. I got a little bit of flack for that. Um, I did a post-game interview where I said the Raiders are kind of a bad team right now with like a few elite players. Yes. But that's kind of what they are. Like they, they don't have a ton of depth. They're very top heavy. Uh, they've been injured up front. Uh, they don't have excellent coaching. They've made some dumb mistakes. Derek Carr can make mistakes, but oh my God, Max Crosby is amazing. Devontae yes. Adams is amazing. Yes. He's unreal. He had more quarterback hits as a player than did the entire Seahawks defense. Um, and it, it's, I'm with you. It, with Tampa, I could write up 20 excuses. Brady, quickest release in football, right? Um, Absolutely. You could say, oh, you just, you just got outsmarted. You got outschemed. They saw the personnel choices you were making and thought, ah, we'll show you. We'll, we'll raise you one. Josh Jacobs was approaching 1,000 yards heading into this game, but this was not a team that was dropping 40 points on people. They were averaging 22 per game. And it, it even if at uh, Jones, or Jacobs, excuse me, was, uh, was close to 1,000, it's not like he was getting 300 yards from scrimmage per game like you allowed one of the best games from a running back against you for real that that has happened for one player to have 300 scrimmage yards yeah yeah it's happened like i think 11 times since footballs had laces on them you know like like i cannot underscore how much it's like this was really bad right and (laughs) it's like oh but is he that good sure sure you say oh he had the long run in overtime and and i'm not a proponent of penalizing uh, players for good like plays, big games. Yeah. but yeah. even if you want to cut it off after 60 minutes, yeah, 220 yards, <laughs> like, and, and the thing that I, the thing that really stood out to me about, and, and this isn't to say that the Seahawks didn't attempt to do this, but the thing that stood out to me at the end of that game was when the chips were down, the Raiders just leaned on their best players. They started throwing two out of every three passes to Devonte Adams. They continued to lean on Josh Jacobs and Max Crosby did what you pay Max Crosby to do, which is dominate at the end of that game. And and it was like, you're right. Seattle is a better team. They have a better roster. I think yeah. that they're better at just about every position group than the Raiders are. But for as much as I like DK Metcalf, for as high as I am on Ken Walker, for as good as Uchenna and Wosu has been, they are not Devontae Adams. They are not Josh Jacobs. They are not Max Crosby. And that was really apparent in crunch time. Yeah. And what's a bummer is when it only takes a couple of players. Like you basically had to shut down three guys Jacobs, Adams, Crosby, right? Like yeah. the three headed monster. Yeah. Make Mac Collins beat you. Yeah. Yep. And you, you basically got one out of three taken care of until it mattered most. And then all three just completely manhandled you. And, uh, you know, you, What's, I, I wouldn't say frustrating. If you are a positive, optimistic person, you're looking at little moments saying, well, you know, if that's ruled a catch by DK, then it's a different game. If Ryan Neal gets a pick in the end zone, it's a maybe it's a different game. If that Jacobs fumble is ruled a fumble, maybe it's a different game. There were a couple Absolutely. moments where you think, yeah, maybe we're we're talking about a different ball game after this, but I'm not feeling great about the defense either way. <laughs> no matter right. No matter what happened, I still... 
I am the defense isn't bad out of nowhere. When the defense struggles, the Seahawks defense struggles mightily. I think it stokes a lot of fears in Seahawks fans because they have seen for the last several years this team really struggled to be consistent defensively. And defenses are notoriously inconsistent, but I'm talking about just like not allowing 500 yards in a game, <laughs> not not getting run all over, um, excelling, you know, with uh, with sacks. In fact, Bump and I, and then I'll stop rambling, but I just could talk about it endlessly. No, please do. Bump and I were talking yours. about all of the, <laughs> all of the different uh, contributing factors that have led to the Seahawks just not being the defense that Pete Carroll really, really would love them to be, despite different approaches they've taken, whether it's changing the defense, different defensive coordinators, taking different shots in the draft, right? Making a big trade to bring in Jamal Adams. I I really do think we were kind of talking about like a connecting um, issue is like they haven't had a premier pass rusher. Like when's the last elite edge rusher that they've had? Did you say Frank yeah. Clark? Yeah, and I don't know that he ever got there. He he had no. stretches. You know, the last consistent pressure creators were Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett, and we're going on six years right. since that. Exactly. You know, I think the thing that stood out to me in watching that defense on Sunday was this physiological response where I was no longer expecting stops. You were just kind of praying mm. for them. And that's like been a really familiar feeling for the last number of seasons where you're out there and you're just like, man, I, I really hope they get a stop here, but it's a bunch of third and threes and it's, you know, or, or, or two or three consecutive plays that go for first downs. Whereas in October it was like, yeah, they're going to get a stop. You're surprised if the other team scored. And that was such a nice feeling. And, and you're right. Defenses are inconsistent and it speaks to how close and talent level NFL teams really are. You know, it's it's the rare defense that can go out and just dominate week in and week out. Hell, I thought the Bills coming into the season had the best defense on the planet. And they're still very good, but they've also given up a lot of points uh, at times this year. It, it just happens. But it's like Seattle can't just be an average or pretty good defense. They're either like top five for a stretch or like historically bad. Yeah, well, and you know who can be a bad defense? The Chiefs defense. And they're not this year, by the way. But, like, right, if there right. ever was a team that could afford to have a bad defense, yeah. it would be the Bills. It would be the Chiefs. It would be, you know, so, and I don't want to take away from Seattle, who's got the highest scoring offense it's had in a couple years, which is which is great. <laughs> like who, yeah. who saw that coming this year? What's more disappointing is that Seattle has made serious efforts to make the defense better. And for whatever reason, and to be honest, there's multiple reasons, they haven't worked out. They've struck out on draft picks. You take a, a second rounder on Marquise Blair, first rounder on LJ Collier, a second rounder on Malik McDowell. Uh, like you just, you keep making moves to bring guys in. You trade two first rounders for Jamal Adams. You see all the issues. Jamal gets hurt. You couldn't have predicted that. That wasn't part of his career. Freak accident for Malik McDowell. Marquise Blair just doesn't work out, keeps getting hurt. Like you can find every reason that stuff doesn't work out, but it's frustrating because Pete Carroll very much, as you guys know, cares about having a really strong defense, and they have made so many consistent efforts to shore it up, and just, it's it's like it's cursed. <laughs> it's just, it hasn't happened. Yeah, you're right, and and they do have a, a couple of get-right games ahead of them with the Rams and Panthers coming up, and, uh, you know, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit, but on the flip side, 
the offense was very good again. This team is six and five because their offense has been really good. Now they struggled on the ground for the second straight game, but still found two very impressive touchdown runs from Ken Walker. And I thought the passing game was as crisp as it has been all season long. The thing that kind of stands out to me, and I've mentioned this on the show before and written about it a little bit, is how DK Metcalf's role in this offense has changed. And, you know, I was, I was kind of surmising when I was writing about it and just kind of tweeting through my feelings. Geno Smith has been better than Russell Wilson at everything this year. But one thing that he isn't is a deep ball thrower that Russell Wilson is. So I get that DK Metcalf's average yards per target is going to come down. Running more of a Shane Waldron offense instead of Russell Wilson offense is going to bring um, average depth of target down. But it has been dramatic with DK Metcalf. And over his last six games, he's averaging six yards a target. And league average for all passing plays is like 7.1. So it's great to see him get the 11 catches. Uh, He is evolving into a wonderful possession receiver. But you don't draft DK Metcalf to be a possession receiver. Now, how much of this, this, a lot of this coincides with him coming back from a knee injury that many of us thought might end his season. Have you seen anything or heard anything that indicates his current role over the last month and a half has more to do with the way defenses are scheming them, more to do with how Shane Walder and Pete Carroll want to use him? Or are there just some physical limitations since he buggered his knee up? I personally haven't heard anything about physical limitations. I'm not out at VMAC nearly as much as I used to, where you hear like gossip sure. in a media room yep. or, um, you know, you'd have, I mean, heck, you'd have Jake that would literally be talking to DK, mm-hmm. <laughs> my, right. my old co host. <laughs> right. uh, so I personally haven't heard, you know, uh, anything about like a health issue per se. It is hard not to feel like it's just a byproduct of Gino's own limitations. I would, I should say limitation. Like it, it, he, you're right. He really has excelled in pretty much every other category. Um, and, uh, and just kind of the kind of offense that Shane Waldron wants. I'm trying to remember, cause this is obviously Shane Waldron's first time as an offensive coordinator. I'm trying to remember if the Rams were big with like a lot of deep shots. Cause they made it as easy as possible for Jared Goff. I think that Gino is a better quarterback than Jared Goff. Russ has a beautiful deep ball. Gino can still throw, like Gino's still got an arm. So yep. I, I think I'm with you in that I recognize the the style of offense looks more like Shane Waldron and less like Russell Wilson. Um, I am puzzled as to why that aspect of the game has been. It feels like almost completely removed, um, especially if you're taking if you're taking twelve shots at DK. You're telling me one of them is it? <laughs> One or two aren't going to be. That's there. that's the kind of thing. If nothing else, just it's, to just to like show the defense that you have it. Well, and it's not like they right. don't ever throw deep. Tyler Lockett still has a very robust nine yeah. yards per target. Lockett has made a lot of downfield uh, catches. Marquise Goodwin has made a handful of downfield catches during this stretch. And so, yeah, it it is just curious to me because as good as this offense has been, um, that's a huge piece of it. I mean, the ability. You know, he's, he's gone from being an upper deck threat to being a singles hitter. If it were me at quarterback, I would simply just complete more deep passes. I don't understand what the problem is. <laughs> just, just, yeah. Well, so easy, right? So yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if you guys are 
doing kind of like an eye test on it. To me, it doesn't look like DK's lost a huge step no. or anything. Like, no, it doesn't look anything, like that to me at all. No, and if anything, it this is what's weird about it. It feels like Gino trusts DK more than at times Russ would trust DK. Like there are times when Gino throws passes, intermediate passes, where you're like, this is the tightest window, or this is a this is not even a 50-50 ball. Like Russ would never give him this shot. And you think, I, I bet that feels really rewarding for DK that he's being trusted. I, I feel like deep passes go hand in hand with that kind of trust. Like, hey, my guy against your guy, like accuracy matters a little bit less here. Like I need, I just need him yeah. to like make sure that he knows where he's at to track the ball, to not give it away. Like it, I feel as though that trust is there between Gino and DK. It's, it's interesting that it hasn't showed up for yards per, per completion reception. Yeah. Well, the trust is definitely there. I mean, he's getting a shit ton of targets, you know, he had 15 yeah. targets on Sunday. There's, and, and one of the things that I have loved about this offense, and I think plays a big role in why they have been, I think they're still top five in terms of first quarter scoring and first drive scoring. Gino doesn't fuck around early in the game. He throws it to DK Mac almost every game. DK Metcalf is getting three of the first six targets uh, in any game. It's like, we are going to get you the easy shots early, get you in the rhythm of the game, which yeah. was a huge frustration for him last year where he'd be out running wind sprints, uh, for 40 minutes on end before he'd get a meaningful target at times last year, which was always so strange. So the volume is fantastic. Uh, he's he's going to set a career high in targets this year. They've just been a totally different type of target. But, you know, to kind of put a bow on this topic, he's responded by becoming a very polished mid-range receiver. I mean, he's gotten yes. really good at the short area quickness and positioning it. his, yeah, he's positioning his body. Well, he's trusting his hands. He's not letting the ball get in on his body. He's reaching out to get the ball in front yep. of defenders, yep. like all the stuff we wanted to see, you know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, get to the rack still. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess we can end on that. The idea that like, it doesn't feel like that tool is gone. Like it doesn't feel like they don't have it in their toolkit. It's just, you'd love to see it a bit more. At the same time, like, I have full faith that, like, if they needed to, they would be able to take a deep shot to 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 use him just to vertically just a bit more. Uh, I, I, I can't think it's gone. He seems healthy. He's fast. He's developing. You're right. As a wide receiver, Gino's got trust with him. Everything is there. It's all uh, there. So I, it's all there. So I have to think it's still in the in the wheelhouse. Yeah. And he's I mean, he's that's, you know, he's just on pace for well over 1100 yards this year. Um, yeah. you know, if you, if you just prorate out and this is even counting basically two games that he missed, you know, you, even if you factor that in, you're still looking at, he's going to have 90 catches, 1100 yards, seven, eight touchdowns. I mean, these are, these are great numbers, but yeah, it's just very interesting to see how his role has evolved. I think the bigger issue is for two straight weeks. Now they haven't been able to run the football and they were, I mean, this offense was cruising at over five and a half yards per carry, whether it was Rashad Penny or Ken Walker. And it's like those explosive runs haven't been there the last couple of weeks. And the few times that they have popped up, it's it's Walker breaking a bunch of tackles to make it happen like he did on those two touchdown runs. To me, this is not a Walker issue. They've been getting bullied on the interior of that line. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of rookie moments. So against Tampa Bay, I thought, I think that the turf, we talked with Brady Henderson about it, so this is borrowed a lot from from his take being there. 
the 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 field itself just didn't lend itself to the speed and quickness of Walker and that it almost disadvantaged him and the Seahawks run game more than it did Tampa. And um, I was like, yeah, that's believable. I could see that. Like it, it, there were enough weird conditions where you could say that's why it didn't work out there. There were some rookie mistakes. I mean, taking a huge loss, <laughs> like a loss of 13 or so for Walker in this one. Like there were a couple moments um, where it's like, you just got to learn to sometimes like picking up one. It's not the play you wanted, but it's picking up one. Uh, and he's such a patient runner that I think he's blending being patient, being able to, you know, find a lane. It's it's closed, bouncing outside, and then he finds another one, which is a, an amazing skill to have and one you don't often see in young backs. Blending that with sometimes trying not to uh, make something where there just is nothing. Sometimes you just get beat. Don't be too patient trying to bounce outside because you're going to get tackled five yards deep. Um, so uh, I, I agree with you in that – halfway and that I think it's more of an offensive line issue. I don't know if it's, you know, guys getting tired out, guys getting injured, any kind of rookie wall for your tackles. Um, but I, I would add that there are a few rookie moments for Walker still that I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. And in no way am I uh, absolving Walker as a, a perfect running back here, but we saw in those first four games with him yeah. as the starter and the one in relief that, I mean, he was, a uh, a really, really dynamic threat uh, in a way very few running backs in the NFL are. You saw it on his first carry of the game. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That yeah. was I, – I thought he I thought he was going to have the Josh Jacobs game after that first run. Yes. It felt so promising early. It or did. Or the second touchdown when we knew that it wasn't really the game we wanted it to be. But yeah. holy cow, that 14-yarder, like it just – he – they found a great back. Like, I'm very excited about his career. I just, I, what I hope is that it's just a couple bad games for the O-line because this offense will go as the O-line does at times. And uh, I, it had been such a promising season. And yeah, it's, it's better news if an offensive line improves. <laughs> right. And kind of a problem when they start to struggle. Yeah. And, and to put some numbers on your point, Bob Condotta, did a really nice dive into the Seahawks running game over the last couple of weeks as it compares to the rest of the season. And, you know, it, it basically, his point is it comes down to yards before contact. Seattle was blocking the runs really, really well. Uh, and, and Ken Walker and Rashad Penny were both at close to three yards before contact on average, which is an elite number. And yes, that speaks to the quickness and vision of a running back. But more than that, it speaks to uh, the line's ability to hit and stick their blocks. The last two weeks, it has been 0 0.8 yards before contact. Nice. So you got you're, the point you're, 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 <laughs> you're not only stripping two <laughs> yards off of each run before contact gets there. You're also the, the velocity with which you're running after three yards is much different than the velocity with which you're running after one yard and a move that you're making to, uh, elude a tackler in the backfield does not give you the forward momentum necessary to turn that into a big run the way that making someone miss four yards downfield does. So it, for, for me, that's the, that's the biggest thing is, is, I mean, he, a couple of those plays, he was fighting the defensive tackle for the handoff. <laughs> no, it's an amazing point. I hadn't seen that stat and it, it's one of those things that like passes the gut check when you think back of how you were watching it and you're like, yeah, yeah that feels right. <laughs> 
totally, right. totally. I think you would have had yeah. to literally fall forward for a yard. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's weird is that the your two rookie tackles you were concerned about have outplayed the veterans along the offensive line. Um, problem is to be the team that Pete Carroll wants, the inside of that offensive line better be dang good. And yes. uh, those struggles don't bode well. No, no, they don't. You know, we've, we've talked about zooming out, and I think there's a lot of value in that. I want to zoom in on the end of that game. And I'm going to preface this by saying Gino has been terrific this year, like borderline elite in a lot of ways. So Roast I hope Jackson. Roast I, so I, I hope people aren't hearing what I'm not saying. But Seattle had two chances to win that game with a score. One at the end of the fourth quarter and an even better one in overtime. They came up empty both times. Seattle was unable to score at the very end of the Falcons and Saints losses as well. Last year when Smith was starting, Seattle had three games with the chance to win on the final drive and didn't score. For everything that Geno has done for this team and his impact has been a massive net positive. He has yet to lead a true game-winning drive. The Seahawks are now 0-6 in those situations with Smith. He's definitely led late-scoring drives to seal victories, but not one when it's score or go home. Uh, it is, in my mind, the final infinity stone in becoming a great quarterback. <laughs> so talk to me about Geno in the clutch. Whether the fact that they haven't come through yet is something real or just randomness in a small sample size. Am I cheating if I, if I see... Gino in relief last year is not canon. <laughs> totally. Like, no, no, no. I mean, okay. there's there's no right or wrong answer weird... here. I'm Yeah. Okay. If you were to combine all of them last year, I'd be like that was on Gino. Like the uh was it the fumble late against the Steelers? Gino last year, I left that season feeling like you know, fine, he's he's fine as a backup, but um I almost felt like that's why you're a backup, Gino like elite quarterbacks win these games and you didn't. Then this year's Geno fe feels like a completely different quarterback. Uh, you haven't seen a lot of the same weaknesses because he was so, with the Jets, it was like he was so turnover prone, um, which is why it was interesting. And he had a fumble, uh, a couple fumbles last year. So it was interesting to hear Carol be like, yeah, we really like his ball protection. And you're thinking like, really? I mean, sure. Um, and then it makes sense. And then you and then you see it over the course of the season, and you think, "Oh my God, he's he's playing brilliantly." Um, I will give him one get out of jail free card for this fourth quarter drive because of the missed chip block for Noah Fant, and wondering like, "Okay, were they expecting when Abe Lucas was just outmatched by yeah. Crosby, a little more help that that Fant just did not give them, mm -hmm. right?" Like it's. It's a team sport. You needed extra protection and extra help against an elite edge rusher, and, and you didn't get it. I will give you one pass for this one. But I agree with you. As unfair as it is, the elite quarterback finds finds ways to get it done. No one wants Patrick Mahomes to have the ball in his hands with a minute left. Fuck no. No one. No one wants Josh Allen with half of a UCL to have the ball in his hands with a minute left. No one wants that because those guys get it done. Derek Carr has fourth quarter game winning drives, right? I mean, that weirdly counted as one, but it was an elite handoff. Sure, sure. <laughs> and like, like it, that is what separates guys. Aaron Rodgers, right? We think of like a hail, oh my God, hail Mary he had against the Lions a couple years ago. Like there are just moments when you think like, this is why. Well, and this Russell Wilson was that for a long time too. He was, he was. And so in this specific game, just because the offensive line didn't play well, uh, Fant, uh, 
wasn't a great final drive for him. They couldn't stop Crosby. I'll give it one excuse, but I am with you in that I, it is the one thing I have yet to see and that I want to see from Gino because it is a mark of a true quarterback. I don't care what anyone says. I got into a debate the other day with someone who was like, game win- quarterback wins aren't a real stat. And I was like, sure, but quarterback wins are separate from your game winning drives and your fourth quarter comebacks. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with that. And and you're right there in any drive, in any game, there are extenuating circumstances, Right. but fair or not, we attribute late wins to quarterbacks yep. and we got to do the same thing. If, if we're going to do that, we need to be willing to do the same thing when they don't come through. And, yeah. you know, another thing, uh, you know, I, I was frustrated in that overtime drive after the completion to Lockett. It was second and five. And, you know, teams have been shading DK Metcalf all season long. Um, if not outright doubling, just putting someone else over the top, making Geno Smith go elsewhere to beat them. It's second and five. You're in plus territory. And the Raiders put eight in the box. And leave know exactly. DK Metcalf exactly. out on an <laughs> island. And you don't check out of that. Like that's a quarterback thing. That's a quarterback thing right there. You know, they ran it right into the middle of that. went nowhere. They hadn't been running the ball well all game. They'll never expect this. Yeah. And one of the things that I've appreciated about, you know, that is a change from the Russell Wilson offense is getting to the line quickly, identifying the defense, making calls, making adjustments and straight up calling an audible if necessary. And so these are the things that, okay, yeah, it's one play, but on the final drive, it's one of three plays that you have on that drive to try and win or to try and move the sticks at least yep. uh, you yep. needed 20 yards there to win that football game and they got five and so it's like you know that that stuff that stuff matters to me I have a take that I've spent approximately two minutes or two seconds uh, creating tell me what Those you think about this okay. yes tell me what you think about this I put no thought into it it's immediate my reaction to you um, what if Gino is so apprehensive to playing the kind of hero ball that Russell Wilson always wanted to play that sometimes he doesn't take risks when he should or make more autonomous decisions when he should? I, I, I wonder how much those turnovers in the Rams game and the Steelers game yeah. and the Saints game last right? year in crunch time how affect that decision making. Yeah, well, because Russell, Russell does it now with Denver. You can see him like just his it's not like his it's almost like his football IQ went down and I I don't know how much of it is wanting to be a hero how much of it is uh panicking and and feeling the weight of pressure whatever it is it costs Russell in big moments and I feel like that kind of you know uh I know what's best attitude might have rubbed an offensive coordinator the wrong way a head coach the wrong way but man like Sometimes no one knows better in that moment than the quarterback. And sometimes it's the right call for him to say, like, this gut feeling checks out. I see DK. I trust DK. I'm going for it. And I just I think that I think that Gino so buys into the system and is so good in the system that sometimes he doesn't take some of that autonomy. Maybe. I don't know. I I wonder if that's more of it than not seeing the opportunity. Very possibly. I might even take it a step further. You said. Uh, sometimes the quarterback knows better. I would say in that moment, the quarterback should know better. That yeah. should be the quarterback's call at at that time when he gets to the line and sees that stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, 
I want to tr take that and move the conversation forward a little bit because, you know, we've all spent a lot of time talking about whether Seattle should continue with him for 2023 mm -hmm. and beyond if the season continues to go well. And I think the general consensus is, yeah, let's roll this thing forward if that happens. Um, it took me about seven games to get there, and I've been there. I'm still there. Same. But let's say this team hits a wall. They finish eight and nine, or even nine and eight, but out of the playoffs. If that happens, how much would it affect your position on Gino as the guy, especially with the likelihood of having a top five draft pick looking more and more realistic thanks to the Broncos? I, I think I'd still be about the same because at, I don't think for any extended period of time during the season have I thought that Gino couldn't win you games uh, or that Gino was responsible for any one particular loss. The closest being being shut out against San Francisco. Like, you didn't find the end zone. Like, first three quarters against the Bucks was, like, starting to be a repeat. Fully believe if Gino and the offense would have had one more possession, they would have found the end zone again. It felt that way. It, yep. it felt inevitable that it would happen, and then the defense couldn't stop them. Because the defense is worse than I thought they would be, or more uneven, I am finding myself against my better judgment. And I, I'm not holding myself to this whatsoever. I will, I will flat out deny this. I find myself <laughs> leaning more toward finding your Nick Bosa, finding your elite edge rusher, finding your top defensive player you would never have a shot at. Because your defense not only has not been elite, your defense hasn't been great, nor sometimes just good for like five or six years. You're not gonna get to a Super Bowl, you're not gonna win a Super Bowl. If your defense can be better, Gino can be your guy. Unless you've got Patrick Mahomes, you're going nowhere fast with this defense. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago with, uh, actually last week, I think with uh, John Boyle about the opportunity cost. Oh yeah, yeah the best. Yeah. Um, we talked about the opportunity cost of drafting quarterback versus not, right? I mean, there's the benefit mm -hmm. of getting the quarterback on the rookie contract. That's the holy grail in building an NFL team is to get an elite or elite adjacent quarterback on a rookie contract. Um, there's also a ton of risk in that. It is far from a sure thing. I mean, you don't have to look any further than the 2021 vaunted QB draft class with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance and yeah. Mac Jones, all yep. kind of Zach Wilson all coming out, right? And now all of them are just kind of like, yeah, uh, not what we expect. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen some flashes certainly from Fields and Lawrence and things, but it's, Zach it's Wilson's not currently like third. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, totally. This guy was benched, benched. Yeah. Capital. Yeah, B. exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's not a sure thing that drafting that early quarterback is, is going to be the thing. And if you get it wrong, you are in hell. You're where yep. the Jets are yep. right now. You're where the Cardinals were with Josh Rosen. And, you know, that's that's even worse. The flip side of that, the opportunity gained by not needing to draft that quarterback with what will probably be the highest pick Seattle has had in Easily. 15 years um, is that you do get to go out and look at the Will Andersons or the Jalen Carters or those potential game wreckers on defense who, when it does come time to extend them, aren't going to cost quarterback money. Uh, it allows you, you don't need to trade picks uh, necessarily to go up and get that guy. You can use all four of your top 50 picks next year 
and they've got a ton of money to spend this offseason too. So uh, I agree with you. I think I think barring him turning into an absolute pumpkin, I'm pretty solid on Gino being the guy for 2023. Yeah, I think it's I've seen enough to think that I would rather have Gino over a good chunk of quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's tough because you look at every single Super Bowl winner and it's hard to look at anywhere but a franchise quarterback, like a true franchise quarterback. But I think had the Patriots not dominated so much of that, yes, maybe we'd have examples of like a Kirk Cousins-esque guy, a Jimmy G-esque guy, right? Unfortunately, we, the only examples we have are of those guys falling short, which kind of yep. keeps me thinking like even with an elite defense, which keeps me hesitant. But I don't know. Gino's so much better than I thought he was. Oh, man. Um, and, I, and this defense is it's just they are missing something important i I don't know if it's a top five pick i don't know if it's uh, it's not a coordinator issue you've gone through a million and five coordinators you could say it's a pete carroll issue but he's also overseen uh, one of the uh, historically best defenses ever so so what is it what are you missing you're missing a very important ingredient what is it i i agree you know i i I think that with him, you've got not only like no one listening to this is going to be surprised, but Mike and I we're real big on vibes, and I think that's especially true. <laughs> no with defense, your quarterback. just vibes. And it's yeah, no defense, just vibes. The thing is, is like that's not always the most you know that take is not always received super warmly um, because you can't quantify it, right? You, you can't yeah. say someone yeah. is leading the league in vibes or that, you know, what they're, what they're, so you, guys you know, think. there's and no, yet we will continue yeah, to, yeah, there's no, there's no EVA, right? Expected vibes added metric that we can, <laughs> Pro football focus that we can have the vibe, right? right. He's 82 vibes. But, but starter, we saw starter. what happens when the vibes at quarterback go from good to bad. And everything mm-hmm. follows, right? And with Gino, you've got immaculate leadership vibes. Plus, the guy, I was, I was texting with uh, Danny Kelly and Mina Kimes about this, and Mina said, Gino's got bars. And she's right, you know? I mean, the, the quote after the big win against Denver, they wrote me off, I ain't right back. His quote about, there are finger pointers and thumb pointers, and yes! I'm a thumb pointer. Oh, like, Buck that, loved that one. Those are... 10 out of 10 leadership yes. quarterback quotes. There's no, it's it's not Zach Wilson say, being asked if the offense let the defense down when they scored <laughs> no. three points and lost 10 to three. And he says, no, right? Like this, it matters what the quarterback says and, and the amount of responsibility that a quarterback takes matters yeah. a lot. And that is an unknown if you draft a quarterback. Think of little things. This is gonna sound stupid, but Gino, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf doing the press conference together yeah. a, a little while ago because they it was before Halloween. DK was like, I have a party to go to. Tyler's fiance is waiting outside. Gino, I don't know. He had something else to go to. You didn't see that at all with Russ. And it's not necessarily a knock on his ability to win, which he did a lot here in Seattle, but like being being liked as a quarterback is not easy. You will forever be treated differently than every other teammate. Um, and I think Gino right now is doing a good job of it. And that is hard to find. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, there's still six games to play. Like I said earlier, the Seahawks are still six and five. 
-hmm. One thing that they have not been very good at is beating the Sean McVay Rams. And like, I get it. They've been one of the winningest teams in the NFL since he showed up. They're obviously the reigning Super Bowl champions, but they've really stuck it to Seattle over the last five years. Now, the version that the Seahawks are going to play on Sunday, however, is much, much different. Matthew Stafford is out. Cooper Cup is out. There's no more Andrew Everyone. Whitworth. Parents I mean, are gone. <laughs> Aaron Donald, who is the best football player on this planet, gone. is gone. So, you know, it's it's so weird to look at the Rams on your schedule and be like, okay, that should absolutely be a win. But this should <laughs> yes. absolutely be a win. You have no excuses. This is when you use that tired phrase of like, if the Seahawks lose this one, I'm no longer mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed. <laughs> it's yeah. where you're like, should should we be in the playoffs <laughs> if you lose to this Rams team? And there have been some ugly losses to bad teams by good teams. The 49ers lost to uh, the, the Broncos earlier this year because they had three turnovers. Are you going to have three turnovers against the Rams? Like, don't kick yourself. And you should be able to walk out of this with a win. All you have to do is not fall on your face, and you should be fine. I can't believe that you just said those words. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mike, it's not as easy oh as Oh, my God. <laughs> have you ever? Good Lord. <laughs> have you ever fallen on your face in front of a bunch of people, Mike? So many times. No, honestly, I look at, I look at this game. I look at them having to deal with Devontae Adams and Max Crosby on Sunday, and they're like, thank God Cooper and Aaron are out. Like, oh I'm sick God. of this shit. I don't want to deal with that two <laughs> weeks in a row. That Like, that's some cosmic justice. Thank you. Yes. I, I'm going to be really <laughs> right. upset if there's a player whose name I have never heard of who gets, like, a million and five yards. I'm going to be living. Yeah. Yeah, Ben Skoranek is just eating us alive next week. <laughs> gonna be so mad there was there's just a receiver named like i don't even know william williams the third and he goes out just 200 yards you're like are you kidding me right now are you kidding me william williams he was on my bench all on tunnel screens well, it's funny Taysom hill got like 92 percent of his season yards against the seahawks god it's devastating god, that was another bad game they allowed 235 i want to say on the ground the yeah. Seahawks defense is last in the league in EPA per play against Madden creative players. Yes, right. It, <laughs> it feels like it could go that way. So, so all right. So, Stacy's keys to the game on Sunday. Number one, don't fall on your face. Correct. Uh, getting a little more granular. Realistically, what does this team need to do to avoid what would be, frankly, a very embarrassing loss? The most obvious thing is going to be do not allow them to run on you for any reason. They're going to have a backup quarterback in who I think most of the time, this is like a basic, basic thing, but most of the time when you're playing a team with a backup quarterback, you kind of expect them to try to lean into a more balanced version of football. They've been awful. They haven't found, like, if this is the Cam Akers game, I'm going to be heated. <laughs> I'm going right. to be so mad. Right. Um, but, yeah, just I think it, I would say, so number one, don't fall on your face. Number two is um, just – do your job when it comes to the to the run defense and learn from learn from past mistakes right have the right personnel heading into this one if you know that sean McVay is smart enough to know that you can't stop the run right now maybe make sure that you have you know one of your bigger defense interior defensive linemen out there make sure brian monet is out there um if 
if you know that your linebackers have struggled and need some support, maybe this hopefully Ryan Neal can play and you can add him, you know, to the box a little bit and stack the box a little. So just I just want to see an effort to fix it instead of the same thing over and over. And if stacking the box doesn't work and making sure you have the right personnel doesn't work, doing everything else doesn't work, then fine, find something else. But I just want to see an effort to course correct. Look, if Bryce Perkins can beat Tariq Woolen, I will tip my hat. But like, right. let's make them let's make them do that. Right. You know, like if if Van Jefferson is going to outplay Kobe Bryant, then you know, all right, make them score three or four touchdowns doing that. But you're right. What this is this is one of those games where you don't want to shorten the game. You do not want to increase variance. You want to give your offense as many drives as possible. You want this offense to be on the field for as much of that game, for as close to 40 minutes of the game as you yep. can. it This cannot be a bend but don't break approach on defense where it ends up being 19 to 13 late in the game or 17 to 14, and all of a sudden, all you need is one thing to go wrong, one bad call, mm-hmm. one missed assignment, and all of a sudden you're down and the game is over. Um, I, I think the goal should be to run as many plays as possible because when you are the better team and make no mistake, Seattle is the better team in this game. You want to maximize the sample size as much as possible. You know, if, if you're, you know, if you're rolling dice and you're banking on it being a five or a six, you've got, you know, more often than everything else combined, if you're only rolling the dice two or three times. Your chances of that happening are way higher than if you roll the dice a hundred times. I want yep. Seattle to roll the dice a hundred times in this game. I also, I do love that take for the, uh, the idea of like, if you enter the fourth quarter with room for error, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that was, you know? that was the thing that made me most excited about the win streak is yeah. they weren't, they weren't counting on, Hey, we're going to win the final drive. They were mm-hmm. like, we're up by a score. There's six minutes left in the game. We're going to go score again. We're going to make this yep. lead 10 points or 14 points or whatever it needs to be so that even if something goes haywire down the stretch, we're okay. Like you said, the margin for error, they, they should win this game by three. Sc- the goal should be to win this game by three scores like that. Agreed. That should be it. Enter this game, pretending you're down 14, nothing. Yeah. I also selfishly, I need to do more research into the Rams specifically run defense. I don't think, I don't know that Aaron Donald like excelled that defense against the run, even when they were pretty good. But, um, cause that's why it's just, Kyle Shanahan would constantly demolish them because he's just such a brilliant run coordinator. Uh, but selfishly, I would also like to see the running offense get get going. I wouldn't mind dominating with a balanced attack. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. See, well, that's just big. More confidence with that. I'd be I'd be cool with that. Yes. Yes. It would be. I I would love to see a 50-50 split. I I totally would. Yeah. Um. You know, I I was on the pass more train for. A number of years there kind of 2017 through 2019 i i too boarded yeah well yeah right yeah i think yeah. Uh, i think you were in the car ahead of me and yeah. you know the thing about that is your passing offense was just a lot better than your rushing offense was back then that that for me was it is it felt like square peg round hole uh mm-hmm. with that team just trying to force a run game with a dj dallas with a uh, a Carlos Hyde with a pre-evolution Travis Homer, and it wasn't working. They were getting two yards a carry, and they were still trying to run it. When you have a quarterback playing at the peak of his powers with good receivers around him, 
now Seattle really can win both ways and they can score quickly both ways. And so, yeah, I, w- I would love to see it be the type of game where they can run it 70, 80% of the time in the fourth quarter because they have a lead one and two because they're having success running. Lead. So yeah. according to our old friend DVOA, the Rams have the 16th best defense in the league. They are 26th against the pass and fifth against the run. And by the logic of that guy a couple years ago who said that Aaron Donald is bad against the run, I can only think that it's just going to improve with him being out on Sunday. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and game flow will have a lot to do with it for sure. You know, I mean, if, if the defense is bad, bad, and the Rams come out and score 17 points on their first four drives – that changes things. It changes the calculus for sure. But I don't think that's going to happen. The Rams should not score 20 points in this game. I mean, you should not score less than 20 points against the Rams. How are we feeling about uh, the Seahawks playing Bobby Wagner for the first time ever? Mm. It's weird how different. I'm curious to see how you feel. It's weird how uh, different my feeling is. There was a ton of anticipation for facing Russell Wilson. Obviously, it's for very different reasons, but maybe it's because the Rams haven't been exceptional and Bobby Wagner's season hasn't been exceptional. It's that combined with the fact that Bobby was pretty ride or die with Seattle. Like they released him. They moved on from him because they presumably felt like they were paying a lot for a linebacker who was no longer first team all pro caliber to them. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, It just, it's more of like I root for Bobby and, and I, I know it's like a revenge game, uh, and who knows how, how Bobby feels heading into this one, but I it's a very different feeling for me. Well, I think I think the vibrations in the stadium are gonna be a lot different. I think that, you know, there's there's not gonna be any sly egging on from Pete Carroll uh mm-hmm. in, in terms of, you know, how the response to Bobby Wagner should be. It's impossible for me to imagine pregame and postgame when he's mixing it up with the Seahawks players, that it's anything other than love because yeah. Bobby was ride or die. He never, you know, I shouldn't say never caused any drama. There was that tiff with him and, and Earl Thomas, you know, years ago, but really that was his locker room for certainly the entire post LOB era. And, you know, one of the things that made me so excited about DK Metcalf's future and why you know, one of the many reasons I was in favor of them giving him the big extension was the conversations that he and Bobby had over the course of last year. And, and Bobby seeing the writing on the wall that he probably wasn't going to be back in Seattle and, and mm-hmm. DK sit next to him on flights and, and being taught what it's going to be like, like Bobby telling him, this is going to be your team, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a huge deal. You know, uh, uh, a friend of ours, John Fraley tweeted out that, and Seahawks would be eight and three if Bobby Wagner was on this team. And it's a shame that they couldn't figure out kind of a, a reduced extension. And at the time I, you know, the Seahawks were in shambles at the end of last season. I knew Bobby was probably going to be released. I think we all did. It wasn't a surprise. Yeah. It, it was sad, but it's the nature of the game. Uh, now it's like, shit, this team's pretty good. If it was still Bobby in the center of that defense and Jordan Brooks back to what he was doing last yeah. year, playing the KJ Wright role, yep. I I do think they're eight and three this season. I, you know, I just think they're 
Yeah, I think there might have been a little too much confidence that Cody Barton could just like jump right into uh, a role as like a always on the field backer. Yeah. Right? Like another inside line. It's different because it's obviously their first time in like a three, four. But um, yes, it, Cody Barton was pleasantly a pleasant surprise. Good and relief of Bobby Wagner, I think way too many people were eager to be like, ah, I mean, save a ton of money and go with Cody. Yeah. Easy, easy fix. And it turns out like a 31 year old Bobby's still better than Cody Barton. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Bobby, you know, he's, he's playing on a shitty team again, unfortunately. Sure. Uh, well, fortunately, <laughs> yeah. cause it's the Rams. So fuck them. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, specifically to Bobby, it's, it sucks that, you know, it'd be fun to see him go to a good team. Uh, a lot of his metrics are, are still pretty promising, but he, you're right. I mean, there is a leadership vacuum that is being filled for sure on this team, mm-hmm. but that vacuum is there with the, you know, Gino has absolutely filled Russell Wilson's role in that, but there, there just isn't that Bobby Wagner on the defense and, and most teams don't have it. I'm, I'm not saying that that's something that should be easily replaced, but Mike, to answer your question, I'm, I would love to see some, a moment from Bobby Wagner, you know, I mean, perfect world Seattle's up three scores and Bobby does something awesome, right? Gets yeah. a pick six or a big sack or something like that would be pick great. Six that I, narrows it to a four score game. Yeah, yeah. that I, I would, I would love that. But Wagner is minted for me as a Seahawks fan, as a football fan, he's in like a can do no wrong situation. Almost any other player would have pissed me off to leave this team and go to the Rams. And you're just like, hell yeah, Bobby. Go get some, <laughs> you know, like he has that much goodwill. He does. And he has it with reporters, too, for the same reason of like this guy uh, knew everyone's names. Right. Which like doesn't often happen. You interview guys and you think like they'll remember me because I've interviewed them five times. Sometimes they have no idea who you are. No idea. <laughs> like, it just happens. Right. Like it's you, no reporter is a priority for any player. But he was so good with being personable to people, treating everyone the same way. Like he was beloved in that building, including by that media room where a lot of people try to be like, I'm very unbiased and I, I don't like any players. I, yeah. I can guarantee you everyone in that room roots for Bobby. That's very cool to hear. That is extremely yeah. cool to hear. He is, right. he is a very, very cool dude. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. We've zoomed out. We've zoomed in. I want to zoom back out. What are your expectations for this team over the final six games of the regular season? And how much will those be affected by how they play against the Rams? Oh, good question. Uh, Okay, so let's assume they need minimum three wins to try to get to the postseason. I think it's very doable. I think it is very, very doable that you can find two wins against the Rams and a win against the Panthers. Like it, and then if you get an extra win, if you beat the Jets, plus. Awesome. Um, So, Record-wise, I see winnable games and I see a path to the playoffs. Um, What I am curious about is how confident I will be in this team heading into that. So are we going to see the run game get going? Are we going to see the defense pick back up? If the defense continues to stumble and it ends up being the offense that's leading them there, I think they're going to run into a wall when they go against really good offenses that are more complete teams like the Eagles. The Eagles are a very balanced team. Like, just exceptional. Um, What I'm interested to see is if they lose to the Rams, they're obviously not mathematically eliminated. What happens to this team when they lose three in a row? Where does the leadership come from? Where does the accountability come from? What is the tone from tone setters in the locker room? Um, Because 
we thought this would be a horrible season, but they haven't really had to deal with, they've had this bonding thing with like everyone doubted us and we're playing well, which is, it makes a locker room come together pretty easily. What does Gino do? What does DK do? What does Quandre do if they lose and they need to get people to buy in? So I don't want that to be the case, but I'm curious to know what's the interpersonal relationships like with an, with a third consecutive loss, especially if it's ugly. Yeah, it's easy to forget how long an NFL season is, especially when you look at it as a whole. You're like, oh, it's 17 games. But that's 17 weeks of hard work. That's 17 Oof. weeks with dealing with the fallout of the previous game, of expectations that change week to week about who you're supposed to be as a team and as a player. And it really is hard to get through four months being consistent. And that's why most yep. teams aren't consistent. It's why bad teams beat good teams all the time this year, more than ever. You know, I mean, I feel yeah. like you got three really good teams, three really bad teams, and then 26 teams that are within <laughs> one degree of separation <laughs> from each other, way to say it. you know, and, and for me, I'm, I'm with you. I think I, I would bet almost anything on this team finishing with either nine or 10 wins this season. Um, the division's not out of play either. They get San Francisco at yeah. home. Um, don't get me wrong. San Francisco is a better team than the Seahawks are. I think San Francisco is a top, easily a top five roster in the NFL. They might, they might be top three. That defense hasn't allowed a point in the second half in a month. I mean, mm -hmm. two consecutive shutouts worth of second half defense is insane. Uh, the offense is rolling now. So, you know, if, if they jump up and, and steal the division, that would be awesome. That seemed a lot more realistic two weeks ago than it does now. The thing that gives me hope about making the playoffs, yes, I think that they finish with a winning record. That obviously helps. The two teams that I think are realistic that they catch are the teams currently holding the six and seven seeds, and that mm. is the Giants and the Commanders, who yep. are not very good teams, um, who are very beat up, and who don't scare me. Uh, as a Seahawks fan, but more than that, the beauty of one division having a bunch of teams with winning records is they all got to play each other down the stretch. Yep. And they haven't done a lot of it. The no, they haven't. The Giants and the Commanders. It, so. Yes, the right. Giants and the Commanders play this week. So if Seattle wins, they're back in the top seven, like yep. no matter yep. what happens. Yeah, you're letting it one division kind of cannibalize itself, which they haven't had too many bites at the apple, kind of like halfway pun intended. And uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I will say, I mean, I'm curious to see uh, Miami against San Francisco. Like, I think mm -hmm. if you're looking for like, oh, I hope someone can hand them a loss, that's a candidate. Um, oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. You know, <laughs> if ever there was a good challenge for that San Francisco defense, it's Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and Tua. It's, it's the San Francisco <laughs> offense, which is what they're running over in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. God, Mike McDaniel, by the way, such a fun head oh, coach. I have such a crush on him. Me too, me too. But like as a coach where I'm just obsessed with this guy, every video, you're just smiling to yourself, yeah. like mic'd yeah. up. He's so great. He's like talking shit to Tua about oh, Georgia versus that. Alabama Georgia. before the game. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Great. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I could totally see San Francisco losing against that that team. I, I, I think for me, you're, you're hoping to get one of those seeds between five and seven. And honestly, I think, you know, the, the one team that I really don't see Seattle beating anybody can beat anybody. Okay. That's the caveat. Yeah. I don't see them beating the Eagles. 
The Vikings yeah. don't scare me. The Cowboys scare me a little bit more, but not that much. I don't think the Packers are going to worm their way into the playoffs. They're, no. they're a team that would scare me a little bit. All those other teams, Seattle, Seattle can beat. And, yeah. and for me, I just, I'm, you know, <laughs> title of the last article was hope is the enemy because I was so excited <laughs> to have a season where I didn't really care about wins and losses. Like, obviously you care, you want your team right. to win, but then you just flush it on Sunday. Like, okay, because you're building towards 2023. Everything is bonus. <laughs> yes. And, and now it's like, okay, you know, I, <laughs> maybe I should be expecting more of these wins and, 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 and yeah, I'm, I'm in it again. There I am feeling like I got, you know, kicked in the stomach after that game. And I was like, I wasn't supposed to feel that this year. That <laughs> I, This was supposed to be my gap year as a Seahawks fan where I can just watch and then forget about it. And the beauty of what Denver is doing, the beauty of the way this roster is developing and being set up is we get it both ways. We get to be emotionally invested in whether this team makes the playoffs this year without feeling like all hope is lost if they don't. They are still miles ahead in the trajectory of this franchise than where I thought they would be through 11 games of the season. And if nothing else, that's what makes the defensive play really disappointing. Like, I do think that the the fixes they need are pieces that you're going to have to draft and develop unless like just, oh, a fit changes we can make this weekend. Like you, you need an elite edge rusher, right? Like you need to add pieces. But because we've seen a good version of them, yes, it's like a punch in the gut to have them struggle and do the same stuff over. But it's only because, you know, if the defense was even middle of the road, with the way the NFC is set up, you're like, there's a path to a conference championship, which you it. never, not only did you not see this year, but they haven't been since 20, uh, the 2014 season. So I think that that's kind of what is both, both really cool and also really disappointing. You know what I mean? Like the disappointment has a, a reason behind it that isn't just like, I'm depressed. It's, it's because you know if they could just figure it out a little bit that they could, they could take on almost any team in their path. Yes. Yes. Ab- absolutely. You know, I, I came into this season hoping for 2011 and I got tricked into thinking it might be 2012. And I think, I think that they're in between. I think they are ahead of <laughs> yeah, where that 2011 team is. They are not where that 2012 team was because that 2012 team, you know, we remember the loss against the Falcons. They had mm-hmm. a stretch where they outscored teams 150 to 13 like a three game stretch, right? Like yes. they, at the end of that season, they were the best team in the NFL and it was starting to look like, you know, this is, it's so funny. Cause, uh, I, I, I do try and, and kind of straddle the line between, you know, responding to a game with how I feel about that game. And also, you know, balancing that against how I feel about the team as a whole. <laughs> three weeks ago the title of my article was are the seahawks a juggernaut and it seems so so silly now of course after a couple of losses but in the moment you're like there's two there's only two or three teams in the nfl any given year that rip off four straight consecutive double digit wins most teams don't have a four game winning streak ever in a season so you know it's cool to know that that is within their range of outcomes and it's within their range of outcomes down the stretch, too. They could yeah. win four in a row. They really could. Yep, and they may run into a buzzsaw like at some point, but that's the best part. I'm I'm sounding like I'm cycling back, but when you said, like, what are your expectations for the remainder? The best part is you can see an easy path. It's not like, okay, this has to go right, this has to go, this, this has to go right. 
win 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 three games against three beatable opponents and you increase your chances by a lot. Yep. Like that's yep. it. Pretty easy. It's like a three recipe situation out of the box. Totally. Yes. Yes. This is this is the HelloFresh meal delivery system. The recipe is there. Yeah, the done. ingredients are They've there. Done everything for just, you. Just right. Exactly. Just put it together. Totally. Totally. Well, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, and and one of the things I appreciate about the opportunity to do this show, and and what I really specifically appreciate about this conversation with you, Stacy, is that the way that I feel about this team after talking through it is better than how I felt on Sunday. And, you know, this, this has been so much fun. I absolutely love talking ball with you. We both appreciate you taking the time to come in today, Stacey, really. This was a blast anytime. Absolutely. And you know what? I actually, I feel the same way now. I'm like, I'm, I'm suddenly feeling kind of weirdly excited and optimistic. And I'm like, Hey, Maybe it comes back to bite me, but it is a much better feeling than it was post-game Sunday. So. <laughs> yeah, it, abs- it absolutely is. Well, listen, I know a lot of the people listening are following you already, but for those who might not be as familiar, where can they get more yeah. of your stuff? That's weird because I'm incredibly famous, so I'm not sure why they wouldn't be familiar. I know. Uh, I know. But <laughs> hello. Uh, so you can listen to uh, me and my co-host, Michael Bumpus, every day, 10 a.m. to 2 on 7, 10 a.m. Uh, we have a podcast version of that show, which you can subscribe to. And if you do, please rate and review. And uh, also, every single Saturday at 7.30 p.m., we are on the Scouting Report, which is on Cairo 7, where we uh, talk with Chris Francis, and it is like a 10-minute easy game preview that's super quick and it's a good way to kind of sum up what you're going to see the following day beautiful thank you again stacy as always you can find mike and i on social media as well i am on twitter at, at jackson bevins that's j-a-c-s-o-n remember that no k is okay mike is at, at mike barwin and the show itself is at cigar thoughts you can also find us on instagram at, at cigar thoughts nfl and on facebook at seahawks cigar thoughts of course you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating, leave a quick review. To everyone out there, thank you for your continued support of this show. The feedback has been incredible. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you really are giving us the juice to make this happen. We will be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.